So Patty, I love their interview today, having Eric Bernstein from Valor Paytech, our official sponsor. Great to have him on the podcast, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It's always enjoyable talking to Eric. They have so much going on there. It just blows my mind. They do. They've really created, I think, kind of the ultimate you know, omni-channel solution for the ISO and agent to sell and mm-hmm. for the merchant to really increase retention. So we get into all of that and talk about Valorant. And we, of course, broaden that as well to just talk about, in general, how to sell value to merchants, how to right. lower attrition. And so really uh, valuable conversation. And then, uh, Patty, breaking news today, right? We have breaking news from Capitol Hill, Senator Durbin on Interchange. Um, stick around and find out some details. Yeah, really and cool then- to hear about the hearing and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, James, um, you know, your advice, you said it wasn't like a lot of advice, but I thought it was, you know, really prescient. Would you, uh, you know, that's uh, yeah, t- tough to people. summarize this one. <laughs> so I just, you know, I, I noticed things, um, you know, one of my one of my strengths is, you know, I get a lot of data, you know what I mean? And, and I don't mm-hmm. know if that's really a strength, but, you know, the idea is I talk to a lot of different consulting clients, a lot of different yeah. players in the industry, and I get a lot of this data about what they're doing. And one of the things that stuck out to me lately is just the enormous amount of opportunity that exists outside of this kind of very narrowly defined space that most of our listeners consider payment processing. And so that's what I talk about is kind of how to, how do you find some of these massive streams of payment processing volume and, and, you know, take your piece. Yeah, it might be unusual, but there's definitely opportunity there. There is, there is. So I'm ready to dive in. If you are, obviously our sponsor is Valor Paytech. Let's dive into an interview with Valor Paytech, right, Patty? Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with our good friend, Eric Bernstein, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Valor Paytech, the official sponsor of our podcast, by the way. So how are you doing today, Eric? Doing great. Thanks for having me here. Good to see both of you again, Patty, James. Always amazing to see you guys. Always great to see you. Yeah, so I, I, I saw Eric at uh, NEAA, James. And, that's uh, right. That's I right. had to tell you, every time I went past that booth, it was just clamoring with people and i'm convinced it wasn't for those shot classes either but i did take one of those shot classes just <laughs> i'm not go. a drinker really but one you know next time i want to have something i i surely be will. on valor right right <laughs> right that's so, so that's a great segue eric i know you guys have just been like all about the shows and the sponsorships and now business is booming tell us what's going on with valor give us the update so i mean Valor's it's just going amazing right now. It's it's a dream experience to be a part of this. Um, in terms of how the show season going, I mean, this is our stage. When we go to these shows, we're ISO focused, we're ISO facing. So that's this is the show where we get to demonstrate our product, our features. We get industry feedback. We get to learn about the trends that are occurring in the industry. We get to go back, reassess our priorities. Are we in alignment with our partners? Are we creating a product that's going to move them forward? Um, and obviously getting to meet new partners, engaging with current partners, bonding with them, and just showing our appreciation makes these events so special. It's our favorite time of the year. Um, th- this show was amazing this year. I was thankfully given uh, 40 under 40 in from ETA, which I was so grateful for. Congratulations. Um, yeah, congrats. That's awesome. Thank, thank you. Thank you. It was, a, it was an amazing experience. It's like a career moment. I remember uh, being in India when I found out. They emailed me saying, you know, you been accepted into this year's class of 40 under 40 and I was sitting with my CTO and I read it and I'm like oh my god I was just I just got 40 under 40 and he jumped out of his desk and ran up to me and gave me such a genuine happy hug at that point I realized that this was a validation of so much hard work so much effort so much sleepless nights and seeing his joy made me realize it was a team win it wasn't my win it was a valor win and we just we just embraced that moment and 
but from there, we're just we're just going to keep on moving forward and keep on moving this product to the next level. But it's it's just been an amazing experience so far. Well, you know it, that you, you mentioned ISOs, and I really one of the things that James and I really wanted to get into um, with this interview is your focus on ISOs and how you're driving that focus. Can you you know elaborate a little bit more on that? So yeah, a great way to understand our focus on ISOs is to understand how, how Valor was conceptualized. So payment experience, a bunch of leaders in the industry have spent time working with the industry's technology. And as you work with technology, you have your strong points and your weak points. And then you try to engage with a technology provider and send emails saying, you know, it would be great if you could add this feature it would help my business out a lot. Or if your terminal could do this, I would be able to sell so many more terminals. Mm-hmm. And terminal companies are busy. They're unable to, you know, meet the demands of every single partner. And you start creating this list of like, listen, if this terminal could do this, 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 we have a business here. This is something we could work with. And it turned from a dream wish list into let's make this happen. So we set out to make our product focused on both the merchant and the ISO. And our idea is to redefine what merchants and ISOs expect from their technology. And that's what we've done. And focusing on the ISO is one of our priorities. So from the fact that our goal is to be a simple portal, you know, simplicity equals usability. You can have the best features in the world, but if it's tough to get to them or it takes a book to understand how to use it, it's not going to be used. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing such user involvement in our portal. It's because it's easy to use. Um, and just the tools we create for ISOs, whether it be a risk management tool to help you manage your risk and determine what size transaction you want to allow or what volume you want to allow, um, Boarding, we have the fastest boarding tool in the business. You could board a merchant in five minutes and have a terminal ready to deploy. And when you do deploy that terminal, we offer multiple keys injected into terminal for platform mobility. We offer field deployment where you could just simply call your tech department, get a code, put it on the terminal, and instantly be ready to accept transactions on that terminal. So making it easy for the sales and the back office to deploy a terminal is a huge improvement to the space. Um, we help uh, our partners for free integrate their CRMs so they can manage their Valor terminals from their CRM natively rather than going to our portal. We've put a ton of tools out for uh, support solutions, whether it be um, merchant access to all their transactions and their batches instantly, remote diagnostics. One of the problems we used to face was, and I'm talking about years ago as an ISO, was You'd sell a terminal to someone, you'd get them on a program, and there would be a point where you're troubleshooting a basic problem and you're not getting the solution. So at a certain point, to solve the merchant's issue, you're saying, I'm going to replace the terminal. And what you're getting back is a perfectly working terminal, and you're replacing it with another perfectly working terminal because you couldn't get to the bottom of the situation with the merchant on the phone. That remote diagnostic allows you to dial right into the terminal and perform an update, push a parameter release, understand how the financial transaction works and pinpoint the problem and solve it without the merchant having to be involved and be part of that troubleshooting exercise. Um, And, you know, the fact that we're cloud-based and we never lose a batch is something that ISOs just fall in love with. Um, We have hierarchy-driven user management so they can build out their sub-ISOs and have sub-ISOs have access to their accounts and their terminals to provide that on-time customer support. And, you know, we have a fully customizable cash discount and surcharge application on our terminal. 
Now you jump on me, James, on this one. Yes. This has been a yeah, hot topic. Well, no, that's not a hot topic because we're not talking about cash discounting, Eric. We're talking about something totally different, dual pricing. Yes. Right? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yes. So tell, tell us about that, right? So, uh, uh, you know, Valor, of course, has dual pricing. So talk about that a little bit. So, I mean, for a while, we've, been, we've had some requests from partners. And as requests grow, they turn to something we have to do because it becomes a demand. So right. for a while, people have been asking us for some form of dual pricing where you can see the card cost and the cash cost on the same screen and give the user the opportunity to determine how they want to pay. Eventually, one of our partners came to us and it was an offer we couldn't refuse to move forward with this development. So it launched this product and we're happy we did it because it, we believe it's the right move for cash discounting to be able to showcase both pricing on the screen, transparent to the customer. It's, it's the right move, but we, we give all the tools to the ISOs and, you know, I'm not a compliance person. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't make the compliance decision. We just right. empower the ISO with all the tools available to determine how they want to implement the cash discount program. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting, Eric, because as you know, you know, this whole kind of storm about the visa memo. And of course, I created largely a lot of the storm myself, <laughs> but uh, the storm <laughs> about it and then kind of this, you know, idea and then everybody starts reaching out and it's like, okay, yeah, we get it. You know, like maybe we want a, a different option besides the non-cash adjustment. You know, how do we do this dual pricing thing? And it was like two groups. I had the ISOs that were not using Valor and we were having these very complicated conversations through consulting of like what they needed to do. And then I had the ISOs that had been listening to our podcast for a while. They were already using Valor. And I said, well, call Valor and you can just flip a switch and turn them all to dual pricing and change the sign and you're good to go. So I think it's amazing, you know, the fact that it's cloud-based and you're able to, you know, I remember when, you know, Eric, not that long ago where, I mean, literally that would mean going to every merchant location and doing a partial Mm -hmm. download. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, so, that's right. so that's, so that's pretty cool. So I, you know, I do want to go back to one other thing though, before we move forward. Um, I understand you actually have some good news also about the, the terminal shortage, the chip shortage that we've been facing. Talk, talk, I mean, that's huge sure. news. So talk about that a little bit yeah. as well. So anyone in, in our space has been dealing with that chip shortage and it's still, a, the chip shortage is still alive. I mean, there's still chip yes. shortages and it's a problem mm-hmm. to access these chips. We have expanded our manufacturer relationship and we've, work the industry long enough to understand how to get access to terminals. And thankfully this week, as we have this podcast as a celebration, um, we have solved the chip shortage and we could fulfill any order size. We have shipments coming in on a daily basis and we're excited to be able to now fulfill the orders rather than get the orders. So it's an exciting time mm-hmm. for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. So we're talking about ISOs. Now let's zero in a little bit, Eric. Let's talk about merchant sales professionals and kind of some of the challenges. So how do you see merchant sales right now in the industry? How do you see this, you know, moving forward and what's Valor's thoughts on, you know, on kind of, you know, fulfilling the needs of the actual salespeople trying to do these deals? Yeah, the hard truth. Um, So (laughs) there's no argument right now that attrition is a big problem in the payment space. Right. I mean, you talk to ISOs, you hear, what's your, what, what, what's your attrition? And hearing 20, 30%, 30 plus percent, right. it's not out of the ordinary. Where in yeah. any other business, you'd run away. In this business, hearing 20 to 30% is like, okay, so you're in, you're in, the, you're in the normal. Um, and that's scary. So yeah. you understand what's, what's the reason, why? And it's a di- direct reflection of how we sell and service the product. You know, um, I see, unfortunately, a lot of laziness in the sale a lack of merchant support, a lack of education, of teaching people how to use your software, use your service and take full advantage of your product. It's, you know, you say this all the time, it's an integrated solution 
or a terminal and a prayer. You know, there's not that merge where you're saying, I'm going to take this merchant, regardless of who they are, and empower them with the tools they need to be successful. Instead, it's selling on price and not value. I know you had Keith on the, the podcast recently yes. and me and him aligned on that completely. He gives a lot of speeches about selling on price, lose on price. Yep. And when we met, we, we aligned instantly on that, that value. And we believe that. So like, if you're convincing a merchant, if your sale is based on, I'm going to cut your basis points and steal you away from your current processor and win the business. If that's your value proposition, someone else is going to offer the same discount to your merchant and take them right from you. Because the only thing they have to hold on to is a price. Right. Um, and it's, when you look at a 20% attrition rate, you're working five days a week selling and you're getting paid for four. Mm. 20% of your week is getting lost off the bat due to not fulfilling the sale the right way. Right. And a lot of people look at this and the, the, the wrong person for this industry looks at this and says, oh, I remember the heyday when you can add 100 basis points to a traditional account and the merchant would accept it. And they would, they would keep processing and you can make great money. Now the industry is horrible. Good. It's not right for them. Let them leave the industry. And there's a huge opportunity that I see and a lot of our partners see to bring value back to the table. Sure. So when you see someone doing it wrong, doing it right is the best way to solve the problem. And that's what Valor looks to help bring to the space is that value proposition, providing tools, features to improve the merchant's business. We want to change the sales conversation. We want the sales conversation to move away from basis points and focus on merchant benefits. That's how you truly service and win the account the right way. Yeah. So, so let's keep digging into that. Right. So, you know, our audience has heard this before, you know, they've heard it from me in the, in the eBooks and things like that. If you know, this idea of the selling on value, maybe we could get specific with that. Right. So give us some examples. Like if you're, if I'm out there selling and it's like, well, I hear a Valor. Well, Valor is like a fancy terminal, right? Like, well, no, it's omni-channel. You wouldn't believe, Eric, I'm telling you, there is not a week that goes by that I do not get at least two emails from someone in our industry that says, what does omni-channel mean? Because <laughs> they hear Seriously, me say it all the time. Still? <laughs> yeah, still, I get it all the time, which is great. Go ahead, keep emailing me. That's fine. You know what it is. So so talk about what are a few maybe examples or some specific kind of value propositions uh, that Valor would offer that salespeople can can leverage out in the field? Great. Um, I definitely think that, you know, I'll, I'll do the high level so we can keep it brief for a podcast. Yeah, sure. Um so, I mean, being cloud-based comes with a slew of benefits. You know, the fact that um, the transactions are now not no longer stored locally on the terminal and now they're held in our cloud opens up the ISO and merchant to so much more access to transaction management, whether it be the merchant being able to void, batch, refund, or manage a transaction regardless of where they are by accessing our cloud portal, um, storing receipts in the cloud, being able to fight a chargeback or supply a receipt instantly by accessing that, that portal. Um, and the fact that, you know, since it's a cloud managed application, we're storing such a light application on our terminal that it doesn't overwhelm the processor or the memory. So you're getting a smooth transaction process and you're not dealing with the unfortunate situations of terminal crashes and false tampers due to just overwhelming that processor. Um, and, you know, if in a case where you do drop or damage that terminal, we don't lose batches at Valor because it's all in the cloud. And every merchant in every ISO has a nightmare scenario where they explain the terminal got damaged and we had to find a way to recover that batch. With Valor, that's a thing of the past. So this move towards that on the cloud-based side, huge value add to the, to the, to the merchant sale. Um, and then you mentioned it, omni-channel. Being omni-channel 
and I guess we got to define it now. It means being able to offer multiple payment channels all funneled into one solution. So your card present solution, which is our suite of terminals, a virtual terminal, an e-commerce integration, a mobile payment acceptance, all transactions funneling into the same location for easy viewability and management. Um, you know, I always joke, I said, if 15 years ago you went to a pizza place and the guy's like, I'm opening a website to sell pizza, you'd laugh and say, this guy's crazy. Today, if the guy doesn't have a website to do online ordering, you're saying he's crazy just the same. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're evolving as a technology, as an industry, and we need to support small businesses with the tools they need to be successful. It's not big box, omni-channel, small, small merchant, basic terminal. There's so many features that could benefit them and being able to empower them with them is a value add to the sale. Um, and you have to learn about your merchants. If you can yeah. learn what, how they process transactions, where's the opportunity to in, invite a new technology, you're then bringing them more into your ecosystem, giving them more value, more ways to process, and it's harder to leave that. You know, that attrition problem gets solved the more tools you give them because they don't want to leave for a basis point when their whole business is operating in your ecosystem. So I, I think their omni-channel brings so many benefits to the table. Sure. Um, customer engagement. If you're at an ETA show, if you're at a regional show, there's always one person there giving a speech about the importance of engaging with your customer. We saw that day one with Valor. And, you know, when they say common number, 20% of your customers make for 80% of your income. You can't lose those customers. You have to know who they are. Yeah. And what we do is we're able to segment the audience. So at the point of sale, when you are prompted for a receipt, you enter your phone number to be texted a receipt. So now you're saving the environment and the merchant is getting access to that database full of these merchant records, phone numbers tied to transactions. Right. So we start collecting data and saying, you know, to tell me what a VIP customer is in your business. And we're going to identify them. Tell me what a high spender is. What amount is someone considered a high spender in your business? What times do people shop in your business? We're going to tell you your busy times and your slow times. And what customers have you lost? So you have customers that shopped in your establishment every day for the past six months, and now they haven't shopped with you for a month. You want to engage with that person and find out why they stopped shopping. There. If you can understand who your customers are and target them with specific marketing campaigns, based on who they are, you're gonna have full control of your market and you're not gonna be worried about the attrition with this merchant because they're so, once again, involved in your ecosystem. They're marketing with you. They're in the omni-channel solution with you. All of these things are hard to leave. When you have price alone, it's one reason to leave. Someone offered me a cheaper price. You sold me, told me you'd get me a cheaper price and I went with you. Now someone's giving me the same discount, I'm going with them. The conversation changes when you have all these benefits you're using. You, you almost don't want to hear the conversation because this is helping your business grow. With the engagement, with customer engagement, we believe we can create a 13th month in the year. So if you could bring the customer back one more time and we can help you find your lost customers, target your right customers and bring them back one more time to your business, that's a 13th month of revenue. No yeah. one's leaving for 10 basis points if they're losing a 13th month of revenue. And that's, yeah. that's a true value add to the service. So, so as we think about all of these, you know, features and benefits and all these things, I'm wondering if you have any um, sales insight, you know, specifically when you think about 
you know, it's such a big shift. I feel like for a lot of salespeople that are used to selling, you know, the standalone terminal or whatever, and they see an offer like this, what are you seeing that successful agents and ISOs are doing to actually like sell these features effectively? No, I see the, you know, we have such amazing partners right now, a lot of industry leaders, and it's, if you understand why they lead the industry, because when they hear the concept, they immediately get it. They're like, so I can offer a bundle and I'm going to give them a virtual terminal. I'm going to give them a card present solution. They understand by giving all these features to the merchant, the benefit they're going to receive far outweighs any cost they're going to spend to get these features. So you go to a business, how much money would a business spend to add a product to their shelves to earn more money moving forward? There's, there's not a number you can ask. People will break even a year later to put a product on their shelf that create a profit for their business. Now you're offering them a slew of tools to improve how they transact, improve how they accept payments. If you can truly educate, that's where you're going to win the merchant over. And it takes more time. There's no doubt. It's an easier sale to say, here's my contract. Your price is X. I'm Y. Let's sign up. But this is not a product we're selling. We're selling a service. So a service comes with training and education. So the partners that we see selling our product are truly selling the product and the features, not just selling it as a terminal. And that's what the change is. It's not a terminal you're selling. You're selling an omni-channel benefit with tons of services that can prove any business in the country. So, and, and we see it just doing well for them. And some people don't see value. And unfortunately, the people that don't see value and are scared to spend a small amount of money, they're dealing with the same attrition rate we're talking about here because right. it's save as much money as you can and earn as much money as you can without thinking about benefits and how to truly improve the merchant's business. Yeah, that's really good. I, I, I totally agree with you. Hey, Eric, I can't help but the whole time you've been talking, I've been looking at that whiteboard behind you, um, which got me thinking about, you know, I see new releases there, you know. Got me wow, thinking, you're good. Hey, man, <laughs> I'm a reporter <laughs> by nature. I'm always looking. Uh, <laughs> that but, is you know, backwards and small font, and you picked that up pretty quickly, which is which is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have to understand, I can actually read my scribbles. So if I can read my scribble two weeks later, I can definitely read your whiteboard scribble. Uh, but anyway, uh, can you give our, our audience an idea of, you know, what's on the roadmap, what's ahead in terms of, you know, what to expect from Valor, say, in the next, you know, two to three months or even out as far as uh, six months? So we have a, a very big roadmap of what we're trying to accomplish in this business right now. And there's a lot of things we demonstrated at the ETA that just got such amazing responses. So, you know, first, you know, we're putting out a menu and inventory app on our VL500 Android. Mm. Touchscreen, icons for every item you're selling, an easy, usable menu and inventory application. Mm -hmm. But it's omni-channel as well. So if you opened a website and integrated with the Valor portal and had a card present uh, Android, that inventory is going to be managed in one location in our cloud. So if you sell the product online or sell it in the store, it's still affecting your inventory. So it helps out with that inventory management. Mm -hmm. um, releasing the Rocket, which is you know your mobile pairing with your, your mobile app to accept you know pin debit, EBT, all transactions on the go, wherever you go. Um, we're redesigning our entire portal. It's gonna be the Vowel Portal 2.0, even adding more features, more usability, uh, and it's just a beautiful design. I can't wait to release that. Um, engage my customer 2.0, adding automation um, 
adding templates and a bunch of new features to make that more exciting of a product. We're going to be accepting cryptocurrency and alternative payments. That's the big buzz right now. Right. Um, we're releasing Valor Connect, which is a cloud-based API integration for ISVs. So what's going to happen is when you build to our cloud API, you take your terminal, just like you're adding an API, and you go to parameters and, and build your parameters in the Valor portal, you're going to have a toggle to say connect. The second you toggle it for connect and you go to your connection screen, you can select your POS and it's going to look for an active connect API in your, in your list. You select the API and instantly it's going to integrate with that, with that ISV provider to make that a seamless instant experience. It's also going to allow you to take your virtual terminal and push a transaction to your terminal for a card present transaction in those environments where they do both virtual terminal and card present sales. And you know, finally, I guess for this, we're integrating with two new processors. Um, coming right now, it's launched already, should be done within a couple months. We're gonna have EPX, which is NAB, and EPI, electronic payments, two great organizations. We're really excited to add them to our portfolio. Love it. Yeah. Wow. And like, as, as you mentioned, we just busy, had, busy. Uh, yeah, we just had uh, Keith on uh, and, you know, talking right. about uh, their edge program. And so I'm, I'm guessing you're going to have some version of that with kind of your dual pricing, right? Is that, is that the direction there? Keith went right for that when he saw it. He's like, yep, this is, we need dual pricing. He, he knew exactly what, <laughs> what the, the goal was for what they're yeah. doing. So yeah, we're definitely going to make sure it's a product that they can I'm made in dual pricing heaven. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Nice, yeah. So, uh, so Eric, you know, um, all this stuff is, sounds so exciting. And, of course, you know, as we think about the salespeople, you know, feet on the street, um, so much of this is just motivation. You know, it's like I think a lot of people, honestly, they've gotten a little bit bored. Some of them I've talked to in the industry, they, they built their residual. They know that it's going down and they're losing customers and they're like, oh, I got to get back out and I got to go sell again. Right. Like how give us some thoughts on this. I mean, how are you seeing ISOs or maybe even your own staff? Like, how are you motivating them? How are they getting motivated to get back out there and, and help merchants and start to build that portfolio back again and understand that, hey, there's there's new opportunities. There's new horizons here. Yeah, I mean, I think motivation is one of the keys to to being a leader is that, you know, people fall off that path and you have to drive them back to that path. And, you know, as leaders, when you motivate people, you have to bring reality to, into the situation. So, you know, a lot of times what I'm focusing on is just the bold truth. When you decided to join any organization, that's an employee decision. So saying that I want to work for this ISO or I want to be in the payment space, you made that decision to get into the space. And once you accepted that job and said, I'm going to work in this career, that's the time for you to make the commitment. You're dedicating more time to your career than a lot of your life. So how you act in that career and how you behave is a definition of who you are and your character. You know, procrastination is the devil. And as leaders, we have to destroy procrastination. I'll do it next week. I'll start selling better next week. Start selling better today. The harder you work today, the better your time off is going to be, the better you're going to feel about yourself, the more you're going to grow, the less regret you're going to have. So start defining yourself today. And this weekend, you're going to have a better time with your family. Um, there's a sales path, and it's not something I created. It's very common. It says attitude, action, results, lifestyle. So there's two ways to look at this. The negative way to look at that is that people look at their lifestyle and start blaming their results and, you know, having a negative outlook on how, how their life is going. You have full control of your attitude and your actions. If you can commit yourself 100% to what you're doing, 
come with the right attitude and apply the right actions every single day, you're going to get the results. And when you get the results, your lifestyle is going to change. All I can say is that if you're going to choose to do something, just go all in. Give everything you got. Because what's going to happen is six months down the road, give yourself a timeline. I'm going to give everything I got for the next year. If that year passes and you're not growing and you're not where you need to be, then maybe you're in the wrong career because you gave everything you got and you didn't get the result. But it's not going to happen. We all know you go all in, you give everything you have to your career, to what you're doing. You're going to grow. You're going to see so much reward. Your life is going to change. But you have to make the decision today to start working and start focusing on that end result. And, you know, that's not I don't know if that's a motivation or more just a glimpse of reality of what you need to do to just keep moving forward. Yeah. It reminds I, me of something a friend once told me years ago. Anything worth doing is worth doing to excess. Uh, that's right. <laughs> right. Amen. I mean, <laughs> amen. Yeah. And I know, I know, Eric, that's something that you've been living and breathing uh, from day one with, uh, with Valor and, and getting this thing off the ground. And so kudos to you. It's, uh, you know, and again, the 40 under 40 and everything. And so I think it's just a validation of, you know, I remember early on talking to you and stuff and just, you know, seeing the work ethic and how much you guys were putting into this thing. And uh, it's really, uh, really fantastic. So let me ask you a question. Um, obviously, a lot of people in our audience are going to want to reach out. They're going to want to learn more about Valor. Um, you know, maybe there are still a few people on our podcast that are selling other terminals. If that's you, <laughs> tell them where they should go to learn more, Eric. Sure. Um, obviously, you can see me on LinkedIn, Eric Bernstein or Valor Paytech on LinkedIn. You go to our website www.valorpaytech.com and there's a contact form fill out the form we'll set you up with a free demo get you a chance to see what what we're talking about um email us sales at valorpaytech.com call us 800-615-8755 or if you're at any regional show we are the top line sponsor at all these shows see us at seaa will be a demo day check us out neaa wsaa we're looking forward to seeing you Trust me, we value our partners. We want to meet you. We want to help you grow your business. We have an open ear to your issues. We're always taking responsibility if there's an issue and providing quick responses to your issues. We want to grow with you. We want to partner with you. Give us a call. Let us teach you about Valor. Awesome. Eric, as always, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking your time to share insights with our audience. Uh, Excited to see what the future holds for Valor Paytech for sure. Yeah, really excited about what's happened so far so that the future can only be more, more greatness, right? Very fortunate to be a part of this. It's a movement. We have so many amazing partners. I'm grateful for every single partner we have. And I'm grateful for you, James, and you, Patty, for just being supporters of us and being a part of this movement. Can't thank you guys enough. I had a great time on this podcast. And thank you both for your time. Thank you. So, Patty, of course, I, I do want to give the, the link to our sponsor today, Valor Paytech, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Um, yes. If you listen to the the interview with Eric and you're not excited about Valor, I mean, I don't know what else to tell you at this point. Right? <laughs> you must be comatose, right? You might I be. Mean, you got to check even, it out. Even, even somebody like me who's not like necessarily a salesperson was like so hyped up by the end of the his talk. I mean, they're, they're just doing so many things. They're so they're so ISO and agent focused. Yes. Yes. So you yes. definitely need to check it out. Again, if you haven't gotten a, a demo already, Definitely go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. And if you're at any of the upcoming shows, um, definitely check them out there. The headline sponsored all the shows this year. So make sure you check them out at the shows and visit ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. Uh, thank you so much for uh, you know supporting our podcast and supporting our sponsors. 
This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, uh, today I want to talk about a topic that's kind of way out in left field here, way outside the box. Um, and I want to talk about the idea of going after unusual opportunities in the merchant services space. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, what got me started thinking about this was I, I was working on the uh, merchant sales insight for Tilled. Um, Tilled.com. And I was talking about going after, you know, software companies and doing processing for software companies. And then I was uh, just talking to somebody who is a new consulting client and they told me about a really crazy approach. I won't bring it up here because I don't want to, you know, maybe, you know, right. uh, proprietary or whatever, but uh, an approach they had of a referral partner that I would never have thought of as a referral partner that just worked out really well for them. Um, and then I talked to others that are going after B2B merchants and not just B2B merchants, they're going after, you know, wholesalers that offer, you know, specific things. And I think that we're in an interesting environment right now. Um, I even, I had a really interesting conversation through the Rotary Club with the guy who owns one of the largest candy distributors in the country. And uh, he happens to be in our local area. And I was talking to him about payment processing, e-commerce and some different things. And it's, you know, the thing that's, that I, that I find about this is there is a, an enormous opportunity right now, in my mind, a very untapped opportunity of people who are responsible in some way for processing an enormous amount of volume, but who do not fit into the box of a small to medium-sized merchant. And as a result, nobody is going after them. And so because it's- Because of their size or because of their industry? I'm just curious. Uh, neither. I think it's actually because of a lack of understanding in our industry of what they're doing. Mm. And our industry doesn't seem very good at going after these types of merchants. They don't understand how to get in touch with the right person and how to have a conversation. And what's what an I wanted, example? Can you give me an example of the yeah, sure. Of well, like, great example. So the, the guy I just spoke to yesterday, um, mm. and I'm having a conversation about this with him. Um mm -hmm. He owns, again, one of the largest candy distributors in the country. He also owns a, a chain of convenience stores. Okay. He also owns a paper distribution company, et cetera, uh -huh. et cetera, right? Yeah, so like so, how do you, right, sure. Right, so what number do you cold call? Right. What door do you walk into? Right, right, I get you, I get right? you. Right? Yeah, right. Um, or, yeah, you I know, the, see that that would be a real headache. Yeah, or the example of the software company. So you see, you know, you're out, you're out, selling merchant services and you try to go pitch a chiropractor and you see that they're using XYZ chiropractic management solution, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. What do you do? What's the next step? Like, how do you sell them? And how do you sell them on integrating with you instead of with their legacy company they're with now or with Stripe, right? Um, and what I find is, is, is a couple things about this. So most people in these situations in our industry are just kind of walking out the door, kind of like, well, I'm going to leave that opportunity alone. Let me move on to an opportunity I understand. Well, there's a couple of things that I want to tell our audience about this that I've come to learn over the years. Number one, these opportunities are rarely as complex as you might think they are. 
Number two, the decision maker is usually a human being. Yeah. It's, that's a fairly nice person to talk to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, thirdly, these deals are not nearly as competitive and you actually might be surprised at how willing the decision maker is to talk to you about this opportunity. Um, because, you know, again, they aren't having conversations with people cold calling them about payment processing. So let me just a couple things really quick, because I know this is, again, a little bit of a, well, it's a very subjective topic, right? So number one, where do you find these opportunities? Two places, okay? Number one is think of larger companies in your area that are not currently being targeted um, by payment processing professionals, right? So what I, one way I did this when I, towards the very end, I wish I would have figured this out earlier, but towards the very end of my kind of full-time sales career in this business, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would always go into InfoUSA, which is now Data Axle, and okay. I would build my list of like merchants that I am going to target, right? And I have like retail, restaurant, services, and oh, exclude this, exclude that, exclude this. And I did all the stuff, right? And it's like, okay, there's, you know, there's a potential of, you know, 100,000 businesses in my area. And I would get it down to like 70,000, right? Well, what I eventually did was I actually went back in and I reversed it. And I said, hold on, let me do the opposite of that. Give me the other 30,000. Uh-huh. And I just started going through the list and just calling people. And I'm like, hey, I don't know if you like take, you know, how you take payments right now. And it's like, oh, come in and let's have a conversation about it. And I'm like, seriously? And you get in there. Oh, yeah. Well, we only do like $20 million a year, um, but we only do ACH right now because we don't understand this whole card thing. And you're like, what in the world? Like, where have you been all my life? You know what I mean? Or it's like, well, we have a network of people. I remember one I went to that, that I never would have found. And it was like an antique uh, I don't know what you would call it. It's such a weird opportunity, but it's a place where they 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 leased space to other shops. Emporium. It's yeah, em- like an antique emporium. Antique emporium. Yep. And so they had their own kind of shop, and they had like a little food business, and then they had like eighty five merchants that all paid them a commission. Yeah. And it was yeah. this huge mess, and they hated it. The way it was running was terrible. So I figured out the right way to set it up, and got a gateway involved, and I did some different things. Well, they processed like you know, $300,000 a month. And they were willing to do, you know, uh, you know, cash discounting. And I made a fortune on that deal. Now that was a really weird one. That was on my 30,000 list. You know, I was like, oh, I never thought about that big antique place down there. I didn't even know what they do. And I would go in there and I'm like, I'm not sure how this all works. And I'm like, well, let me tell you, you know, people are leasing a space and they're paying us every month. And then we get a commission and we have to track the commission. And then they want to pay us with their card or they, and it was like, wow. So when you dive in though, you're going to find people who recognize this high cost of card processing that are more than willing to have a conversation with you about it. So the one first place to look is people that you normally wouldn't target. So again, think of all the businesses you just would avoid, you know, um, maybe now again, if it's a, na- if it's, if it's a national brand, obviously don't go there. Right. But mm-hmm. other ones, you think about that one. And then secondly is think about people that are generating significant processing volume on their own that would be interested in getting a cut of the profits. So this is where things like software companies come in and companies like till.com that I just do in the merchant sales insight for, where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, they don't even understand that they're generating like 20 new merchant accounts a month and they have no idea how valuable that is, right? Like, right. and they're doing right. everything. You do absolutely nothing. You integrate the payment processing and then they have, you know, 50 people a month reach out from their website that say, we're interested in your software and they sell 20 of them. And part of the sales process is, they send them a 19-page docu sign from XYZ like legacy processor 
and they have this annoying process. They get it all done. They send it over and they make no money off of it or they make a 5% override. Well, you go to them and say, look, I'll give you 40%, right? I'll split my cut with you 60, 40. And they're like, holy crap, 40%, like really? And then you sit, you help them integrate with whatever gateway. And then you sit back and make 60% on 20 new mids a month doing absolutely nothing to get it. So there are opportunities out there. And what I would encourage you to do when you listen to this is take a step back for a second. You know, you have your thing that you do, but like payment processing is crazy. Like it is an, an immense sea of money. And odds are you've identified a little stream that kind of runs off the mountain and trickles mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're at the bottom of the mountain with your little teacup, getting mm-hmm. the little trickle that comes down from your stream. Well, if you look to the right, you're going to notice there's a waterfall. Yeah. You know, maybe you go over there and bring a dump truck. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so there is a lot happening in this industry. And the good news is there are so many processor agnostic technology solutions or even processors that have teams that work on corporate deals that you can structure some deals. So get out of your comfort zone. You don't always have to make your normal residual split. You know, you can do a massive deal and work with somebody like Dustin Wilkins we've had on, you know, he's doing Mm -hmm. these massive deals, working with people and they're getting a smaller cut, but it's a smaller Mm -hmm. cut of a humongous amount. right? Right. And so you can do these deals and you can work differently. So again, just remember there's a lot of deals out there. They're not as complicated as you think. And there's a person who's involved in, you know, making this decision that probably would be glad to talk to you. And it's much less competitive than other things. So again, I don't have a lot of specific advice today other than take a step back, look around. What are the big businesses that are local in your area? Um, Look at lists of data and find businesses that you're like, oh, I would never, I would never go to that company that sells poultry. I would never go to that company that is a wholesale tire distribution center. Well, what if they're like one of the largest wholesale tire distribution centers in the country? And you happen to be, you know, you, you can probably see them from your house, right? And you've never been in there. Well, how are they processing payments, right? And they're right, doing right. $70 million a year or whatever. You know, like if you sell them at, you know, seven basis points and three cents, you're going to make a fortune. So think outside the box a little bit. Look for some unusual opportunities. That's my advice today. Great advice. Thanks, Dan. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, you know, James, it's not often that I get to report breaking news on our podcast because, you know, let's face it, it <laughs> recorded a couple of days before and, you know, right. sure. all that. But I think this will be breaking news, even for those of you who download on Mondays. Right. Uh, Senator Richard Durbin, uh, architect of the Durbin Amendment on debit, inter- you know, that regulated debit interchange has uh, set his sights on interchange once again. He held a hearing today. We're recording this on March, uh, excuse me, May 4th. He had witnesses from Visa, MasterCard, a bank, a, re- a retailer, a retail lobbyist, a consumer lobbyist. You know, uh, it was a lot of it was pro forma. Of course. You know, but, um, you know, and if anybody wants to see it, I'll just recommend just Google Senate Judiciary Committee and click on hearings, and you can play it back yourself. Um, I actually sat through it and played it back um, just to make sure I got everything, you know, the way I thought I should. Um, 
And I guess one of the things um, everybody wants to know is what did he say? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I got some background. I can kind of maybe, tell you about. Maybe what people want to know is actually what interesting things did he say? What like, interesting <laughs> things he said, right. So. Well, I thought there was an interesting quote here from him. Um, you know, he asked a lot about competition. He said there's not fair competition. Sure. You know, he said he was part of a bipartisan. He was, I think I reported it here last week or the week before, about how he and some other lawmakers um, sent a letter to Visa and MasterCard asking them to hold off on interchange increases right and as he said uh they did it anyway um so his comment was quote in the absence of competition there needs to be some limits put on visas and mastercards price fixing so he had a list of about six things i thought he kind of like wandered off on a few of them so i'm going to give you what i think are the highlights yeah for the sake of quote transparency Card-issuing banks should detail on the monthly statements that we get, you know, for our card usage, just how much of each card purchase gets deducted from the merchant's take in the form of interchange. Wow. So you're saying on a consumer credit card statement, they should right. see how much the merchants were charged in order for them to use their card. Actually, it's how much they were charged and how much of that the merchant received what the difference was. Okay, so basically okay. what the interchange was yes. that, that got deducted from that. And that's going to be fa consumer-facing now. Consumer-facing. Okay, interesting. Okay. Now, here's another thing, and this is the thing. I, um, I'm pretty sure I predicted this. <laughs> sure. If not here in my column for the green sheet, but sure. um, he wants to eliminate interchange calculations on the sales tax portion of all purchases. Okay, hold on, wait, 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 hold on. Say that again. Eliminate the interchange calculations that apply to the sales tax portion of so the So in other words, purchase. Visa and MasterCard cannot charge interchange on sales tax. You got it. Oh. Well, he's going to run to some pretty serious a lot opposition. A lot of headaches one. there. A lot of headaches there. But I, th I, don't, I don't, let me go through and then I'll tell right, you what ahead, I think. Ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, good. Okay. Uh, third thing, he wants to allow merchants to choose which networks they want to use, whether it's for card present or card not present transactions. Now, I'm not quite sure how the, that works in a, in a um, I'm not exactly sure how that would work, James. I could see how it would work in a debit environment. Sure. But in a yeah, credit but as environment, far as a credit environment, I don't think that I'm not sure how he would see it. But yeah. I think he may be referring here to the ongoing debate about uh, debit. De yeah, yeah. Right. Net that network. makes sense. Especially yeah. like pinless debit, things like that. Exactly. And he's written to Visa MasterCard yes. about that in the past. So I right. think that may be what he was he was asking for. Okay. Um and then the other one which I thought was really interesting and Visa and MasterCard exclusivity over the setting of security standards. EMVCO is run by Visa and MasterCard. Right. This is something that the merchants have been complaining about for a long time. Why, you know, they set the prices, they set the security standards, they hand out the fines, they collect right, they the fines. The right. Right. And, uh, huh. 
So that's one I think could have some. I think that could yeah. have some legs. I really well, do. yeah, I, I agree with you, and I could see that being an interesting like next step, right? Like Visa's like, right? You know, Visa's right? probably Visa's right. Like, uh, we hate running the EMV stuff anyway. Great, let's spin that off. Let's, you know what let's I mean? spin that off, right? But you want but... you want that Dick Durbin? You just you go ahead. You be the you take that one. <laughs> right. So yeah, right. I can see that. Okay. Okay, and uh, you know, so interestingly, I didn't see or hear any hush pushback pushback. Excuse me, um, from Republicans on the committee. All I heard was Senator Grassley, who's um, from Iowa, yeah. um, say, "quote There's a balancing act here that we need to acknowledge, and any future action should be carefully considered for possible impact." Right. But you know, and he even said, "Look, I got merchants that are my constituents. I have banks that are my constituents. This is not really a fight right. I want. <laughs> I want to get into." Yeah. But. You know, if it's going to happen. Right. But here's my thing, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I want to get just a little bit of history. You got, you know, it's an insight, some insights here that I've gained from years of covering Congress, you know, both as a, you know, on the street reporter and now, you know, doing it more from, from behind the scenes. But um, that it's um, really easy to slip through when you have a massive piece of legislation like a you know really big bill comprehensive reform of some sort it's really easy to slip something in at the last minute yeah. as a form of compromise okay i'll vote for it if you put this into it right, right. that's what happened that's with the durbin amendment mm-hmm. you know that whole sequence towards the durbin amendment began in 2006 with a hearing before the senate judiciary committee same committee that held the hearing today. Um, and it took, you know, Durbin was on the committee then. He wasn't chairman, but he was on the committee. It took four years for him to even get any legislation. And then it was watered down because he originally wanted controls on credit card interchange. You know, he had a much more comprehensive bill. But yeah. to get his vote, basically, for the 2010 Wall Street Reform Act, that's one of the things they had to give. Give Dick Durbin this little favored piece of legislation. Right. And it was, you know, tucked into a massive bill. Mm. Um, you know, that being said, of the things that I saw here, I thought the most interesting things were the security, mm-hmm. the state tax calculations. And interestingly, let's put some weight on the issuers in the form of disclosures to consumers. Yeah, I think and you know I think that one of those three could make it in, but let's make also sure, you know, let's bear in mind that with the persistent gridlock on Capitol Hill, it's probably not going to happen in this Congress. At best, you have a fifty-fifty chance. Right. Well, and I think you know, to me, I it, you know it really brings up one of my pet ideas I've had for years and years, probably five years ago. I I talked about this is that. I would love if they, you know, if Congress really understood how this all worked, I would love for them, you know, that to me, that's actually not going to have a huge impact. The idea of disclosing to the consumer about yeah. the interchange, what yeah. I think would have a huge impact is making the Visa and MasterCard restructure their their um, authorization process to include those costs with the authorization code. Mm-hmm. Um, because now you could have a lot of innovation from technology partners to say, well, if we pair that with free speech and allowing merchants to communicate their price any way they want, now we have surcharging that could literally 
pass the cost of processing onto the consumer. So in my mind, we're kind of a, a race to the bottom type scenario where, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's going to happen, you know, whether it's dual pricing, non-cash adjustment, whatever, you know, eventually the margins decrease. What would be actually interesting to me is if we got to a point where there could be a program where you could have interchange plus pricing where the interchange was paid by the consumer and the plus was paid by the merchant. Interesting. Interesting. Right. Yeah. And so literally yeah. there's like a sure. line item on the receipt mm-hmm. that says, you know, literally it lists says the car yeah. type and it right. has the true cost right there. And true that's what they pay. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, and that, that's a, that, that would that's be a, a very interesting market. way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think, that. I think that's something that is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something I think it's doable. Yeah. It's doable. And, and, you know, one of these days I might get, uh, you know, have a, an inclination to try to push that along. We'll see. But I, I think to me, you know, right now, obviously it's like, Hey, it's, you know, it's nice that the margins are huge and everything. Nobody would ever be angry with me if I push that right now. But I think the idea is as margins compress here, I think it would be super interesting because I think a lot of merchants would be super happy to pay 80 basis points. You know what I mean? If that's all mm-hmm. they're paying is like if you that's pay all paying. Basis right. points, the interchange is passed on mm-hmm. and that's something that could be standardized and, and, and everything like that. And then I think consumers talking about consumer transparency. I mean, you don't get any more transparent than that. You know, they right. would literally say, well, if I use my rewards card, I'm paying, you know, a 1.9% and 10 cents. And when mm-hmm. I'm using my regulated debit card, I'm paying five cents and, and 22 basis points. And so they, you know, they would literally see it on the receipt. I think right. you really can't get much better than that. Well, yeah, and it's and it's really interesting because one of the things that kept uh, the the retailers and the consumer and the excuse me and the card brands hammered home, as well as a couple of the lawmakers, was you know a lot of people were subsidizing people with really high end rewards cards. You know, there is the clear understanding now that rewards cards are you know. Rewards are driving interchange, at least in part. Mm-hmm. So what you're yeah. saying would actually be, you know, a benefit to, to all parties. Right. right. Well, well, except for Visa and MasterCard. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. So all the other parties. Right. But but you know, in, in my mind, I think it actually still would be a benefit to them, meaning the opportunity cost, because what's the alternative? I think anybody that would look at this scenario and say, this is not at least a fairly risky, slippery slope for the card brands towards significant regulation and dr- drastic, you know, cuts to interchange and things like that. You know, obviously that's a possibility here. I think anybody that thinks it's Always not is, is crazy. Right. Um, and, and, and it's they a, mentioned it, it numerous times today. Right. And I mean, it's a significant possibility. It's not like this right. is a long shot thing. This could happen in the next five years and nobody wants that. Our industry certainly doesn't want it. Certainly. And so, right. And so I think what the idea would be, is this would be an interesting way for if if this program existed, there's no, you know, now you have no leg to stand on as far as regulation there, because you're like, look, what is there to regulate? I mean, consumers are literally seeing exactly what this costs. And if they don't want to use that card, that's on them. But that is a true free market. Nobody's being taken advantage of. I mean, right. That's, that's as clear as you could possibly get. So in my mind, I think that's a great solution. You know, one of these days I might, uh, I might push that a bit and, and we'll see, but I think it's, uh, I think that's an interesting direction to go. That's an interesting direction for sure. So, well, well Patty, thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming there was no mention of cash discounting, surcharging, non-cash no. adjustment, free Those speech. Were, I mean, that's what I was looking at. I, yeah. You know, you and I spoke before this and I told you that was what I was wondering if they yep. were going to bring up. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, all right. Well, thanks Patty for the update as always. Appreciate it. Sure thing. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. 
Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.